Church, it's good to be worshiping with you on a baptism Sunday. They're the best, right? So, Logan, congratulations, bud. I'm, I'm happy for you. I'm happy for Logan's family, too, and it's a great day to be here together. It's also a good day because we're launching our new sermon series entitled Listening to the Prophets, and I'm, I'm going to be leading off today with a text from the book of Jeremiah. Now, by way of just a very brief introduction, Jeremiah was often obviously a prophet to Israel. And sometimes he's referred to as the prophet of doom because he consistently preached about impending judgment and impending destruction in Israel. But he did so as a warning for Israel to turn away from its destructive and evil way of living and instead walk in the life-giving ways of the one true God. Jeremiah is also sometimes called the weeping prophet because he displays God's deep sadness, God's deep anguish for the rebellion of Israel. And so through divine tears, Jeremiah repeatedly implores Israel to repent and return to relationship with God. So with that very brief background, hear now the word of God from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 18, verses 1 6. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done, says the Lord. Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. There's so much good stuff here, but before we dig in, let's pray. Lord God, you alone are the word and you alone have the words of eternal life. Speak, Lord. Speak to us as we are gathered here today and speak through us as we are scattered in the world this week. Speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. And we pray these things in the mighty name of the crucified and risen Savior, Jesus. Amen. Now, as a lot of you know, my family and I spent about three years living in Shanghai, China, and that was an amazing experience. But life in a densely packed city of 27 million people can also be really challenging. And with so many people jammed together in a confined space, the whole concept of personal space kind of goes away. So for example, in the subway station, transit workers will sometimes physically push the commuters onto the subway cars just so the doors can close. And inside you can get all mashed together with everybody else and it's hot and it's sweaty and it's smelly and it's uncomfortable. But after a while you just get used to being that close to each other. And so there was this American guy that I met when I first got over there and he'd already been in Shanghai for about seven years and he told me the story of something that happened to him when he went back to California for a couple weeks one summer. And so he was back in San Diego and he was enjoying the, the blue skies and the clean air. 
So he takes a walk to his local coffee shop, and he's full of happy thoughts, and he walks in, and he gets in line, and the dude in front of him turns around and said, hey, how you doing? He said, fine. He says, man, it's great to be back in the U.S., all these friendly people speaking my language. Then about 15 seconds later, the dude turned back around to him and said, hey, can you back up a little? Because to my friend's surprise, even though they were the only two people in line, he was this close to this dude. They were touching. And he wasn't in China anymore, but China was most definitely in him. And so we're all kind of like my friend because we're in the process of being shaped and formed whether we realize it or not. In the words of Jeremiah, we are like clay. And the question isn't whether we're being formed, because we are. We've been formed by our family systems that we grew up in. We're being formed by our relationships. We're being shaped by the schools that we go to and the jobs that we have and the neighborhoods that we live in and the media that we consume. So the question isn't whether we're being formed. Instead, we have to ask, what are we being formed into? And how are we going to participate in our own formation? And these are the questions that Jeremiah is speaking into. And these are the issues that Jeremiah was revealing to the Israelites. He's pointing out that we are deeply formed by what we most deeply love. That our prioritized loves, they anchor our identities and they aim our lives. And so Jeremiah tells us that God loved the Israelites with an everlasting love. But the Israelites did not receive and return that love. Instead, they worshipped created things rather than the creator. They worshipped idols. They loved themselves and their own plans and their own ambitions and their own glory more than they loved God. And so through Jeremiah, this broken-hearted God says to his people, as a faithless wife leaves her husband, so you, Israel, have been faithless to me. He was linking their love and their worship. And we're also shaped by our vision of the good life. Because we unconsciously reach out for our vision of what thriving looks like. We unconsciously move towards our vision of the kingdom. And so God had given the Israelites a vision for the good life. It was a life of shalom and compassion and justice. But they had traded that in for their own vision of worldly power and earthly riches. And finally, our patterns of life, our consistent actions and our daily practices, they turn us into certain kinds of people. And so God had invited the Israelites to practice the holy ways of righteousness and faithfulness. Why? To turn them into a holy, righteous, and faithful people. But instead, they had developed habits of wickedness and exploitation. The Israelites had been formed destructively. They had been deformed by distorted worship, by a corrupted kingdom vision, and by depraved practices. And in the process, the children of God had been reshaped 
into children of the world. They had become the type of people who didn't love God and didn't love their neighbor. They didn't yearn for or do what was truly good. And just like that guy at the, at the coffee shop confronted my friend, Jeremiah repeatedly confronted Israel. But they refused to see who and what they had become. They kept insisting that they were good people, that they were church people. But Jeremiah, Jeremiah called them foolish and senseless people who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. In the words of theologian Walter Brueggemann, the Israelites had for so long lived in a fake protective world that their perceptual field was skewed and with their best looking, they could not see what was there to see. So Jeremiah comes as the mouthpiece for God's final attempt at redemptive discipline for Israel. Jeremiah is engaged in divine counterformation. He's waging a holy battle for their hearts and their minds. And so he preaches to them to turn, turn now from your evil and amend your ways and your doings. Or face the destruction that is the inevitable consequence of a destructive way of life. So is God angry? Yeah. The text tells us several times that God is angry, but God is more angry for Israel than he's angry at Israel. He's angry, angry like a good parent would be angry at an addiction that's consuming their child. Because like a good father or a good mother, God wants good things for his children. God wants deliverance for them, not destruction. So, what happens? What does Israel do? Well, in verse 12 of this same chapter, Jeremiah tells us this terrible conclusion that Israel proclaimed with their lives that we will follow our own plans and each of us will act according to the stubbornness of our evil will. And the nation was handed over to destruction at the hands of the Babylonians. It's a terrible season in the history of Israel. Now, Jeremiah, for his part, he preached his heart out. He'd done what God asked him to do. But as theologian Abraham Heschel notes, that a prophet can give a man a new word, but he can't give a man a new heart. That kind of work cannot be done by God's messenger. It can only be done by God's Messiah. And that's why in the shadow of Israel's tragic failure here, Jeremiah keeps preaching. But they're not words of doom. They're words of promise. Jeremiah speaks in chapter 31 this. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. And because of this promise, their verse 12 doesn't have to be our verse 12. Because they had a great promise from Jeremiah, we have a great fulfillment in Jesus. Jeremiah called the people to change. Jesus can change people. 
Jeremiah gave them the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. And because of Jesus, we can be a different type of clay in the potter's hands. Because of Jesus, we can be a new verse 12. But make no mistake here, because Jesus doesn't make Jeremiah irrelevant. In Christ, yes, the reign of God has dawned, but it hasn't fully arrived. So while we are no longer slaves to sin, you know this, we still struggle with sin. And so like the Israelites, we live in a contested space where many different forces fight to form us. We still need the message of Jeremiah because we can still be blinded by sin. We can still be deformed by the world. I mean, all of us know what it's like when our loves get misplaced. When we lose a coherent vision for God's kingdom. And we can't seem to make ourselves practice the life-giving ways of Jesus. And after a while, we can get so overwhelmed and so numb that we just coast. And that's why when Jesus came to the earth for his ministry to awaken God's people to the dawning of God's kingdom, you know what he preached? He preached the words of Jeremiah. He said, do you have eyes to see and yet fail to see this kingdom? Do you have ears and yet fail to hear the gospel? Because through Jesus, Jeremiah still speaks. That's why Jesus preached repentance. That was the first message he preached in the gospel of Mark. And it was among the last messages he preached in the Gospel of Luke. Repentance. Is there any word that has a worse reputation in the modern world? Because it either, either gets dumbed down to, that's just feeling bad about bad things that you do. Or it gets built up into this theory of punishment. But repentance isn't about punishment. It's about change. It's about turning away from other loves and leaning in to the love of God. It's about a change of mind that leads to a change of life. As New Testament professor Matt Skinner notes, to repent is to encounter life and God and your purpose in a new and truer way. In church, we still need the words of Jeremiah because we're still clay. And formation is vitally important because Whatever forms us also fills us. Whatever forms us also fills us. So let me ask you, at this moment, in this season of your life, whose hands are you in? What has been forming you and filling you? And what is it that's keeping you from putting yourself into the potter's hands? Because God is still a good parent who wants good things for you, his children. God wants to fashion you into something pretty specific. He wants to make you into a certain kind of container because he intends to pour into you the most precious substance in the universe. That is the healing and loving spirit of Christ. And it's because of that spirit that we're not doomed 
to be conformed to this world, that we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We can resist the deforming influences of modern idols like a consumeristic culture or partisan politics. We don't have to be defined by the trauma of the family system that we grew up in. And we don't have to be decisively shaped by the soul-crushing competitive voice of social media. Church, as the church, we must be formed by the good news of Jesus and not our evening news. And because of Christ, we can be a new creation. We're more than our past. We're more than the things that we've done or have been done to us because the most important thing about us is not who we have been. It's who we're becoming in Christ. Jesus came to set us free. And we have the freedom that comes from the forgiveness of our sins. So we have the freedom to turn away from selfishness and selfish practices and be peacemakers and reconcilers and doers of justice, the kind of people who serve rather than insist on being served. So what does it look like to take formation seriously? Well, Jeremiah told us about some of those things. We pay attention to what we really love. We pay attention to our real vision of the kingdom, not just our Sunday school vision of the kingdom. And we pay attention to our daily practices, what we are actually doing with our lives. But in a moment, in a dynamic moment, we can get an idea of what this looks like by peering into the life in a moment for Dr. Martin Luther King. Now, when King was a 27-year-old, fresh-out-of-seminary pastor in Alabama, he found himself as the leader of the Montgomery bus boycott, which is a pivotal moment in the American Civil Rights Movement. And because of his leadership, King started receiving threatening phone calls and threatening letters at his home. And after one late-night death threat, King was just close to his breaking point. And all of his fears for himself and his family flooded in, and he was about to drown. And as he sat alone at his kitchen table in the middle of the night, he was trying to think of a way to bow out, to disappear without looking like a coward. But just before he gave up, he intentionally placed himself in the hands of God. And he began praying desperately and earnestly for God's guidance and God's presence. And King later wrote that, at that moment, I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never before experienced him. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, stand up for righteousness, stand up for truth. God will be at your side forever. And almost at once, my fear began to pass from me. My uncertainty disappeared. I was ready to face anything. My outer situation had remained the same. But God had given me an inner calm. And what God did for King, God is willing to do for every single one of us. And you might hear that story and say, there's no way that I could be that kind of vessel. That God would never use someone like me for something like that. 
But I just want to tell you, church, you don't have to be a perfect kind of clay. You just have to put your hands, put yourself into God's perfect hands. Because God will lovingly hold us and mercifully mold us. God's powerful grace will go to work in those places where you are most vulnerable, most fragile, and most tender. And there's a hollow place inside each one of us where our weakness lives. That is the perfect place for God to pour in his mighty strength. Indeed, that's how we are made on purpose. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, but we have this treasure in clay jars, so it may be made clear that this extraordinary power is from God and does not come from us. So church, yeah, we're made of clay, but we're made to be formed by Christ and filled by Christ. And when the rough and tumble world gets a hold of us, and you know that's going to happen. Jesus told us that was going to happen. When the rough and tumble world gets a hold of us and shakes us, that's okay. That just means the hope of the gospel is going to spill naturally out of us. And when this hard world gets a hold of us and breaks us, that's okay. That just means the light of Christ is going to shine through our cracks. And when the sharp things in life pierce us and puncture us, that's okay. Because when that happens, we can leak dawn in the midst of darkness. We can leak freedom in the midst of captivity. We can leak hope in the midst of hope and hopelessness. And we can leak resurrection in the midst of death. Because, yeah, we're clay, but we've been formed and filled by Christ. And if that's true of us, without even realizing it, at some point you're going to look up and realize you are this close to Jesus. And yeah, you won't be in heaven, but heaven most definitely will be in you. Church, we are a new, verse 12. Amen.